0: He's risen. Wow, so much energy there. He's risen. Well, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but today, Easter Sunday, is a very special celebration for all of the disciples who believe that Jesus was brought to life from death. And with that, I want to ask you a question this morning. I'll call it a resurrection question. What has brought you life from death? Let me ask it again a different way in the present tense. What is bringing you life from death now? You might reply, what has brought me life from death was my salvation through the death of Jesus Christ on my behalf crucifixion. But what brings you life now? What is bringing you life? Where are you experiencing spiritual life instead of the creep of spiritual death in your life? Where are you experiencing life and what is bringing you life in your week or in your day? Most of us only look For a reawakened sense of spiritual life and an experience of the presence of Christ in our life again today, on Sunday, in worship. But this text this morning shows us that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can expect Him to be revealed in your daily life, in your work, and not just in holy places at holy times. So let's look at this, the third appearance of Jesus Christ risen from the grave to show himself once again, reveal himself to the disciples in order to learn how Jesus transforms an ordinary day into an extraordinary day. Learn this above everything else this morning. Jesus, and this is the gospel, Jesus delights to enter in to your ordinariness. And he delights when he enters in to bring life with him to you. When Jesus enters my ordinary day, it becomes extraordinary because I have an encounter with a personal living presence. God in the Spirit. So I want you to observe two points from this record in John's Gospel about the appearance of Jesus. First, observe that Jesus appeared in an ordinary day. And if Jesus is going to appear, folks, it's going to be to ordinary men and women in their ordinary days. He delights to be a part of the mundane work, homemaking, class, gym, errands, our recreation, our hobbies, He enters there also and not just church. Secondly, I want you to observe how Jesus appeared in his extraordinary way. There are specific ways that Jesus appeared to these disciples then and to us as disciples today. Now these ways are called the means of grace and they include his word and by that I mean the Bible. And not just Jesus' words in red, but all the Bible. So that's one way that He will appear is by His Word. His works of providence. The doctrine of providence says that God over all protects and provides for His own, His followers, His disciples, His children. And Jesus appears through His meal at the Lord's table at communion. He is present with us and we can see him with eyes of the faith at this table. Now each of these three we're going to see this morning in this text as ways that the disciples experience the transforming presence of Jesus when he appears in each of those manners. So let's look at the disciples in this passage to find these ordinary men in an ordinary day doing ordinary things. Now there are seven fishermen fishing in their boat on the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is about 12 miles long and about 7 miles wide. It also is known as the Chimareth, which means harp or lyre because of its shape. Now, the shore was fairly pebbly and rocky, but the water itself would be very, very smooth oftentimes. It would have squalls on occasion, but on a sunny day, it was deemed to be one of the most beautiful seas in all of the world. For when the sun shone down on the water with green, uh, a green reflection, it looked like with each wave on the surface that there were emeralds that were glowing. So, The beach and the water made for a beautiful location, but it was fairly isolated. We're not in Jerusalem now. We're at the Sea of Galilee to the north of Jerusalem. And there are few people that would go to this soft vacation place seeking rest because it was a bit untamed with treeless ravines and surrounding mountains. In fact, the historian Gibbons called the mood that you felt from an ordinary day spent there a mournful and solitary silence. Something that I often feel when my day is very ordinary. Mournful. Maybe a little drudgery. seems awful quiet. Not quite the exciting day that I either anticipated or I wanted. Now this is where the disciples are located. Now they're not still in the upper room where they last met Jesus, but they're back at sea fishing. They're back to the ordinary. And where they have returned is the very place where Jesus first found them. You can read about that in Luke 5. This is the place where he first found them. Also known as the Sea of Galilee. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 6 through 10, we read The angel instructed the women to go tell the disciples that he's risen and that, behold, he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him. See, I have told you. Down to verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, as he met the women along the way, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, that's the disciples, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So why are they there? They are there because a risen Lord has instructed through others, his disciples, that they will see him there why there though why not continue to meet with them in the upper room why there i believe and i want to make the point this morning morning to show that jesus christ would convey that he's not bound as a risen lord by space and time and he's also not met or bound to meet only in holy places Jerusalem was the holy city with the temple. He's not bound to meet his disciples only in an upper room that has become sacred now because of the, the Lord's Supper and the Passover. He enters the workplace, the classroom, the home of ordinary people in an ordinary day. You see, the disciples did not go to this part of northern Israel because they were running from the Jews out of fear. They went in anticipation to see Jesus. Now they've been walking on this shore and waiting for the appearance of Jesus as he said. They took him at his word but they've been waiting for about two weeks. And in the waiting, Peter gets restless. He began to drift into resigning himself that since he's separated from Jesus today, I might as well go back to do life as before I had his daily presence. So he was not giving up on Jesus, but he was settling in to that ordinary life of a day without a sense of the presence of Jesus with you. He was settling in to do Life without Jesus in his daily, ordinary activities. He and then the others drifted from the shore to a boat, out on the water. They drifted from looking for Jesus to appear in that ordinary and isolated place. They drifted from the focus and the waiting back to be just immersed in the ordinariness. Now, Again, this was not a place where they would expect Except Jesus said that he would appear there. It's not a place that normally people would expect to see Jesus. It's not the holy city of Jerusalem. Imagine if the holy city of Jerusalem were the holy city of Charleston. So if Charleston represented Jerusalem, then these disciples would be working on a shrimp boat up past McClellanville not too special a place. It's a work site, not a temple. It's too ordinary. It's too secular. It's too too muddy. It's too messy. It's too mundane. So recall, these ordinary fishermen have been spending night and day as students with their master Jesus. They had seen incredible miracles, and yet now they do not see him And in not seeing him daily, they began to disassociate. They they began to separate him from their daily life. And in doing so, they began to look to other things to supplement and supplant, things to bring them life that had brought them life before. In this case, fishing. Now, we're familiar with this when we separate life into two categories. Francis Schaeffer called it the two-story house. When our ordinary life is the first story, and then our spiritual life that we enter in on occasion, particularly holy days and Sundays, community group meetings and Bible studies, When we enter into the spiritual life, we go upstairs. But we don't really traffic and live there. We come back down here. It's when we don't really experience a personal walking with Jesus or interacting with Jesus or the presence of Jesus in our ordinary day. We drift from waiting and looking for him to appear again in our ordinary places, so preoccupied, even distracted, By all the things that we're doing. Recreationally, hobby-wise, work-wise, family-wise. So as I drift back into the ordinary task of work, I begin to hope that work will bring me life. It will not only feed me, but it will fulfill me. My productivity at work or in the home will validate me. And like these seven, I fish in these waters and I fail. I begin to feel like I'm missing something really important to feel like I used to feel. Can I ask you a diagnostic question? Raise your hands if you're currently fishing somewhere and failing to catch even a small catch. Okay, don't raise your hands, you're Presbyterians. I don't want you to feel like you're breaking an arm or anything. Maybe it's some place where you used to succeed, but now it's gone sour. Another way to ask it is what used to bring you life and energy, but right now it's flat? Maybe, Maybe a workout or the gym used to really refresh you, and yet now it's just so much exercise. Maybe a day at the work felt felt so fulfilling, but now one day goes into another day, and it just seems like I'm not accomplishing things. I may even be going backwards. Or, or something, maybe a, a hobby. Oh, this hobby was, it used to just, it was so restful for me. Boy, it just gave me energy. It gave me life. I, I so look forward to it, but now... This is not working anymore. Are you starting to reach the conclusion that life, the life that you're meant to have, will not be found at the beach, at work, recreation, hobbies, or even relationships apart from His presence in them. If He does not enter into those areas and be a partner with them, then they will fail in time to be a source of rest or comfort in life to you. In other words, you'll fish and fish and fish all night, but there's nothing being caught. There's no life coming up in that net. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to have Jesus be such a part of my ordinary day that it would transform my life to make even an ordinary day an extraordinary day where Jesus appears again and he enters in with a real living spiritual presence with with me, that I could experience right there in the middle of my ordinariness. Brother Lawrence, in his classic book, Practicing the Presence of God, wrote about how to achieve such a sense of God's abiding presence with us every day and in the ordinary things that we do every day that he said, I felt such a sense of Christ's presence and nearness to me that it was in the washing of dishes and the doing of chores that I experienced worship, unlike even those seasons in the sanctuary. Because he experienced the intimacy of Christ in the mundane, in the taking of the kids to school he experienced Christ with him. In the being in a foursome on a golf course, he experienced Christ's presence with him. In a good book on the front porch in the sunshine, you can experience Christ's presence with you. In the the craziness of work, you can experience Christ with you. In that long punch list of to-do home chores, you can experience Christ's presence with you. He doesn't look at us having separate lives. He doesn't reserve himself except to meet us in the sanctuary. It's promised you because the designed goal of which this Bible teaches is the covenant of God who declares, I will be your God and you will be my people. We're not taught how to ascend to God, but from Genesis to Revelation, we are taught and promised that God will descend for the purpose of dwelling with ordinary men, ordinary women forever. See, God is Jesus. And Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And the gracious work of Jesus is that He will never be separated from us. Not by ordinary days or extraordinary days. Not by place or by activity. At His birth, He came and the resurrection confirms I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you as orphans. Not by death and certainly not by my work or by the busyness of ordinary life. He wants to be a part of your day, every day, never reduced to simply one day. It's his life forever with you in your daily life that he has in mind. That's gospel. He delights to do so, if we would but invite him in, if we would but once again ask him to reveal himself to us. So observe, secondly, Jesus appearing to the seven disciples because he does come in such an extraordinary way that they begin to move from fuzzy eyesight to crystal clarity that Jesus is present with them again. So Jesus is on the shore, and he asks him a question, that I understand fishermen don't like to be asked if they're not catching fish. Catching anything? And when they confess their failure after all night chasing fish, he gives what I call a starboard, or that's the right side of the boat, a starboard suggestion. He gives words of either great wisdom or a great miracle-working power. See, some see a miracle in the fish, and others see wisdom in his words like a wise fishing guide who from his vantage point on the shore, the beach, sees where the fish are while they cannot. And they obey his words. And they succeed. Indeed, so great is the catch that these professional fishermen can't haul them into the boat. They need a bigger boat. Now stop a sec. Did you see or better yet hear what just happened? A walking, talking, living Jesus directs them with words of counsel and when they obeyed, they experienced success. This is the pattern or the formula for discipleship. He's discipling them. With his words, he is speaking again into their life, convicting them. With a diagnostic question, are you catching anything? You're fishing and failing, aren't you? You're not finding life like you once found life in fulfillment in fishing, are you? And then he gives them direction and words of wisdom. Simone Well said somewhere that the only real question to ask a good friend is, what are you going through? What are you going through? And good counselors and disciples at Two Rivers have this gift of asking good questions that get to the heart's struggle and then give a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge from God's Word. This day went from boring to pretty exciting. The daily chores and the labor for food just went to the adventure level. John's Gospel Chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. Or just doing my day alone is of no avail. But the Spirit gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's when Jesus appears to us speaking words to us. It's when you carve out time in your day and you read the Bible and then your heart begins to burn. He speaks through His Spirit. I'm not just making it up. I'm convicted by the separation, the drift that's taking place between me and Him. And then He wisely suggests, without rebuke, how to succeed with Him as my God. That I may experience this new life. And that is what this is. A resurrection life that the disciples are learning how to live. Where Jesus has returned, though He will ascend physically. He will soon ascend physically as He said He would. But He will be with them with this Spirit. And this Spirit still speaks to us by the power of the words. And these words reveal He's alive. He's risen. He appears before our heart and our faith's eyes. Now, John is the first of the boat crew to recognize Jesus. Now, please read carefully that John did not see the face of Jesus on the shore and say, it's the Lord. It wasn't recognizing the face some probably a hundred yards away over the water. No, what prompted John to say, it's the Lord is looking at the fish. He saw the nets. He saw these other six straining muscles. Peter was probably wearing only a long cloth. Sweating, straining, having worked all night, but now the chatter. Whoa, boys, we got a haul. John takes all that in in a moment. And he knew, he knew that it wasn't Their power, their prowess, their skill, their intelligence, their ability to bring life and excitement back into that ordinary day. He knew that what they were experiencing, there was only one hand blessing their handiwork. They were guided by the Lord. It's the Lord. It was not their power. It was only the Lord's power. In short, he saw the work of providence, God providing and protecting, and he connected it correctly to the God over all creation, over all fish, over all days. He saw Jesus appear in the middle of an ordinary day with a provision, a blessing, a need met, an answered prayer, protection given, life hope restored. It's as if the psalmist in Psalm 23 it's as if as a sheep could say this is the Lord. Lord, the Lord is restoring me. The Lord is providing green pasture. The Lord is providing still waters. The Lord is providing protection for me. He associated now, in the ordinary day, the presence of Jesus with him by his work, his work of providing for him. And it may be small in our day. It may be a, a small kindness that is done to us. But, man, we need to lift our eyes out of our ordinariness and realize that God is at work every day, every day, Providing for us the things that we need, protecting us. He is with us every day. Oh, but that we would have eyes to connect the dots and to see him, to see his work and associate it with him. I believe that John did not suddenly greet and cry out, it's the Lord, with surprise or shock. I think he said with a wry smile at the playfulness of Jesus to insert himself in the middle of the workday, it's the Lord. We should know by now that all provisions, even our daily bread, rest in his hands to provide. In Acts 3, in verse 12, this time it's not John, but it's the apostle Peter who as Israel has seen them just heal a man he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power, or piety, we have made him walk? In other words, Peter says, you shouldn't be surprised at this. We didn't do this. This is not our work. It's his work. Give glory to God and be comforted that he is at work. He's still at work. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. He's a living God. Dead men don't do this. They don't continue to work. They're dead. Are you surprised when your day has an unexpected encounter with a living Jesus? Or are you living to expect it? Is it such a rare thing that you've not experienced Him so real that you could touch Him? Are you listening? Are you watching? Are you trying to connect the dots? When you look at tomorrow and say, Jesus, you're here. Where are you? Where are you playfully looking to insert yourself in my work or my home chores or my family, my hobbies, my recreation, my day? You're there. Where are you? Alexander McLaurin, the great Scottish preacher said, Learn to see Christ in everything. And be blessed. Or miss him and be miserable. It is a wasting, weary world that we live in unless it be filled with signs of his presence. Tomorrow, play hide and seek. But you're seeking. And he's hidden, but playfully so. He's like a, a father for a very small child who hides behind the couch. But he leaves a leg out wanting to be found when he can once again take up the child in his arms for a good wrestle. It's the Lord, John says. That's how he works. It's got to be him. There's no other explanation for the guiding of our hands to success. Now, I've got to conclude with the final way that Jesus appears extraordinarily. The final way that Jesus appears extraordinarily is with an ordinary meal. It's a cookout on the beach. It says that when the disciples came to shore, Peter had preceded them, that they see Jesus beside a beach campfire. That meant that Jesus gathered the wood with his hands. That Jesus kindled the wood. And no, in my mind's eye, I don't see him going, fire, pfft. not Harry Potter. I believe that he lit that fire. And I believe he kindled that fire to a good cooking fire. And then he had bread, perhaps on his person, He's in the flesh, you know. He does eat. And he had fish cooking there on the grill. It was all prepared. They prepared nothing. And he invited them over. And the first lesson to them was not where he had been. And let me tell you all about the theology and doctrine of the resurrection. His first conversation began, hey, bring some of that. Fish over here. I'm in your ordinary fishing. I'm in your ordinary day. Your work concerns me. And by the way, let me serve you a meal. Where did we last? Where did we last see Jesus serving us a meal? It says that they recognized him, but they didn't quite recognize him. They knew it was the Lord, but he looked different somehow. He's maybe he's grown in stature. He's he's a glorified man, but he's not walking on above the surface. He's not glowing. But they look at him, and he's alive. And they look at his manner. And they look at how he presents that meal to them. And he serves them. He doesn't ask that them serve him at this point. He serves them right there in their ordinary day. On the beach. He feeds them. He ministers to them. And it is his joy and delight. Not his duty. I'll ask you a question. The king in his castle. With all of his servants. Hears a distant cry. Of an infant. Of a small child. What makes him get up and leave his room, put on his robe, and go to that small child? It's his child. And he does so with delight. The king delights in serving and ministering to his children, particularly when we're not catching any fish. He's made for our ordinary day. And we can see Him revealed in our day through His Word, His work in our work and labors, and in this meal that we celebrate this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that You would take this bread and this cup and set it aside for Your holy purposes. Lord, let us see that though other hands have prepared this, They did so at your instructions. So you have instructed us how to prepare this table for your followers, your disciples, your children. And while our leaders, our elders, and our deacons will hold forward the cup and the bread, they're your representatives. It is your hand that is extending this meal to us. And this meal represents you. What you did in order to never be separated from us again. Have your way with us. When we take of this bread and this cup, find us raising the glass in glad and hearty agreement that you are ours and we are yours in union together now and forever. And we would have you once again not only insert yourself into our ordinary days this week, but find us looking and expecting you to. Looking for you and spying you and finding you like a lover recognizing the one they love. And in finding you, May we respond with worship for the life that you bring to us as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.